Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by award-winning dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita, and let's begin. Hi, and welcome to episode seven of the Love Food Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and food peace promoter. I hope you're well. Thank you so much for listening today. And I am so excited about something and I just can't wait to share it with you. I just found out that the Love Food Podcast is featured in New and Noteworthy and also has been in the top 10 in the health category. And I am just so grateful for you, and I know that I would not be able to see this podcast climbing up and new and noteworthy if it wasn't for you and your support. You know, I thought about doing this podcast way back in 2006. Yes, they had podcasts that long ago, but um, that was right before I started my family, and so, you know... All you moms out there know the creativity gets sucked right out of you when you um, give birth and have children. And so the podcast creativity vein was just totally tapped out at that point. But um, my youngest is now three. So in the summer, I started thinking about it again. And so since about July, I have been putting together this podcast and I've been thinking about it a lot, working on it all the time. And so when I finally did share it with you, um, I have to admit, I felt a little worried and vulnerable. And oh my gosh, I'm just over the moon with how you all were responding with it and your supports. And so leaving that review and rating and subscribing, you know, just pushing that button as little as that um, is in the sense of time is huge for for me. And I just want to let you know, I am so grateful. And um, thank you. Just thank you so much. And it really has invigorated me to continue with the show. And so with episode seven, I have a, a letter from um, someone who is craving normal eating. And if you are someone who eats normally, it may feel a bit weird to crave it, you know, something that normal eaters don't really think about eating because they're eating normally. <laughs> and um, so this this young person is craving normal eating and has a history of an eating disorder. And, you know, if, if anybody listening has a history of an eating disorder, you will appreciate that trying to eat normally will literally feel like you're going against your biology. Like every cell in your body is telling you something else, especially your brain. So that is exhausting in itself. But then we also live in this world that has its own eating disorder. I kind of joke with my clients that I'm helping them recover in a world that hasn't recovered from its own eating disorder yet. So not only will a person with an eating disorder feel like their body is telling them not to recover, but the world also can be doing the same thing. So it's a very challenging, exhausting type of uh, process, yet worth every second. So I can't wait for you to hear this letter and um, 
you know, again, just thank you so much for the support of the Love Food Podcast. And please keep sending letters. And I can't wait to address your complicated relationship with food. And you can send that letter to me by emailing lovefoodpodcast at gmail.com. And also you can get more updates on what is going on behind the scenes with Love Food and also um, more connections to normal eating by uh, subscribing to our email newsletter, which you can just find on the juliedillonrd.com website. I'll put all of those in the show notes to make it convenient for you. And here is our letter. Dear Food, I find it frustrating that I can't seem to be a normal human being and enjoy eating you. I am pretty young, but I have already been through a lot with you, more than I or anyone should have to go through. I don't think I can remember a time when weight wasn't a problem with someone in my family. My mom eats very little, not purposefully, but often comments on the amount others eat. She has also commented on random people on TV shows, making claims such as, I would never let myself get that overweight in a disgusted tone. This and my own self-esteem problems, I believe led me into some form of eating disorder that I've recently sort of pulled myself out of. I used to refuse to eat you at any time of the day, completely skipping breakfast and lunch. When I was forced to eat you at dinner, I ate as little as possible and promptly went upstairs to quote unquote shower or, and I censored this part to protect impressionable listeners. I'm not considered overweight medical wise and to anyone I have ever asked, I do not look it. I don't believe them, and I continue to stress over you. Finally, a friend has convinced me to simply just eat when I am hungry. I have attempted to bring snacks to school and even have been trying to bring a lunch, but I am never hungry enough to find a food I like or ever want to eat, even when I'm hungry. Often, I am very hungry, and after a few bites of you, I find myself gagging and feeling like I want to be sick if I eat more. I am trying to have a better relationship with you, but you're making it difficult. Why can't I seem to eat you without feeling sick and guilty? Why can't I find anything I'd like to eat? Why do I find it more comfortable to have an empty stomach than a full one? I am too often sick in one way or another from eating you. Sincerely, Young Wounded Eater. Hi there, young wounded eater. Oh, thank you so much for writing. And I I just feel so much for you right now and thinking about how exhausted you must be battling this daily, very many times a day kind of experience. You know, feeding our body is something that we have to do very often. And it appears from your letter that you're thinking about your eating choices and your body way more than our body and mind are supposed to be thinking about it. So I just have this really gut instinct going now that you are exhausted. And I hope that this um, conversation right now will give you a little bit more insight and help you find the next path for you for recovery. And to begin that conversation, I first want to 
discuss relationships. I know that sounds kind of weird because you weren't really wondering about that, but you know, I, in our lifetime, we have many different relationships. I'm sure there's some statistic out there on the average amount, but I have no idea what that is. Yet, something I do know about relationships is that some of them are short term, and some of them are some relationships are long term. And I always think about my uh, college boyfriends. I definitely dodged a doozy with those. Um, thankfully, those were short-term relationships. But you know, uh, there are many others that you and I are going to have in our life that are longer term. And when we really, though, think about the longest relationships, I think a lot of us think of family. But really, the longest that we're going to have is the relationship that we have with ourselves. And an integral part of how we take care of ourselves in that relationship is how we nourish it. And that's why I think as humans, we do end up having this relationship with food. So letter writer, I know you're yearning for this more normal way of eating. And I think it's important for us to then discuss actually what normal eating really is for a person. And the thing that's really kind of cool and also frustrating about the science of nutrition is that's one of the few sciences that is very flexible, fluid, always changing, and it's never a black and white type of experience. And then the only exception, of course, with that is if someone has an anaphylactic type of experience with a food, then they're really the only ones that will have a black and white kind of relationship with, with foods. But besides that, the rest of us you know, normal eating is going to have a lot of ambiguity. If you've listened to this podcast before, you've heard me speak about one of the dietitians I look up to most. Her name's Ellen Satter. I almost feel like I need to have like the Ellen Satter moment every podcast because I think I've probably talked about her every episode now. But she really is this pioneer in the way that we relate to food. And I want to read something that I think is really important for we humans and it's this definition of normal eating that Ellen Satter has written. And um, in case you are new to the show, Ellen Satter is a registered dietitian and also a therapist out of Wisconsin. And she is someone who has this expertise in uh, the feeding relationship with children and also how to help people of all ages have a more competent, normal relationship with food. So her definition is... Normal eating is going to the table hungry and eating until you are satisfied. It is being able to choose food you like and eat it and truly get enough of it, not just stopping because you think you should. Normal eating is being able to give some thought to your food selection so that you get nutritious food, but not being so worried and restrictive that you miss out on enjoyable food. Normal eating is giving yourself permission to eat sometimes because you are happy, sad, or bored, or just because it feels good. Normal eating is mostly three meals a day, or four or five, or it can be choosing to munch along the way. It is leaving some cookies on the plate because you know you can have some again tomorrow, or it is eating more now because they taste so wonderful. Normal eating is overeating at times, feeling stuffed and uncomfortable, and it can be undereating at times and wishing you had more. Normal eating is trusting your body to make up for your mistakes in eating. Normal eating takes up some of your time and attention, 
but keeps it placed as only one important area of your life. In short, normal eating is flexible. It varies in response to your hunger, your schedule, your proximity to food, and your feelings. I will go ahead and put in the show notes a link to this definition of normal eating from Ellen Satter. And I think the highlights for this this definition is things like flaws, mistakes, and sometimes emotionally eating. And the biggest part of all, though, is that trusting our body will be able to make up for these mistakes. And letter writer, I know you mentioned in your letter that you sort of pulled yourself out of this eating disorder type of relationship. And, you know, I am a clinician that does believe in 100% recovery. It is debated, of course, but the way that I have come to really believe in 100% recovery is in the way that I have chosen to define recovery. And eating disorder recovery, to me, includes a few different areas, including physically being in a safe place with your weight and also not engaging in eating disorder behaviors, but then also trusting your body to give you the information it needs to be able to eat enough. And then however that ends up being weight-wise, just letting that be, not fighting it anymore. And so using this definition and these kind of guidelines, I would challenge that you've pulled yourself out. And I do feel that eating disorder recovery is not something that is black and white. It is something that kind of develops over time and over many years for clients. And so if you have in the past worked with an eating disorder support team, then I would say it's time to to get back to working with them. And I would hope you would consider this not to be a sort of failure, but yet just the next step. Eating disorder recovery is certainly very messy. It's not linear. And it does take a team to help someone recover. If you've never worked with an eating disorder team, I do hope that you can make the next steps to connect with folks who can help. I do appreciate in our world today, it's mental health is not something that's considered um, an easy thing to really work through. And, you know, making those first appointments with a dietitian or a therapist can be super tough. And I do have um, a blog post on what it's like to meet with a dietitian the first time if you are wanting to recover from your eating disorder. And so I'll make sure I put that in the show notes too. But just know after you make that first call and you make the first couple of visits, it's going to help you feel stronger. Anybody on your eating disorder support team is not going to necessarily tell you what to do. They're just going to be the catalyst for you to get better and to be safer. So as I go through some more insight that I want to give you, I do feel like it's important for you to connect with that team. I do think that's that would be the safest choice. And it would they would be able to give you even more direction than you know, this podcast here. So as I was reading your letter, I found it really interesting that the family of origin that you describe has this way of looking at bodies to be um, good or bad, 
certainly a body size that was considered too big was, um, you were told in no uncertain terms was not okay, that it was disgusting, and that there was always someone in your family who was worried about weight or worried about what they were eating. And I do think that set a foundation for you that you were not allowed to make mistakes and you also weren't allowed to let your body weight just be where it needed to be. There wasn't this communication that we should be able to trust our body and respect its cues. And, you know, remember that in the definition of normal eating that I just read, a big part of it was allowing our body to make mistakes and then make up for it later. And there's so many times in our life where we do make mistakes in eating. You know, I think about um, there was a time a couple years ago, I boarded a plane and it was only going to be this really quick flight, maybe like 45 minutes. And I was starting to get hungry. I wasn't quite meal hungry, but I thought, oh, you know, when I get to my uh, connecting airport, I'm going to have a, a two hour layover. So I'm just going to go ahead and grab lunch when I get there. And so when I boarded this first flight, um, they ended up keeping us on the tarmac for I think an hour and a half. It was a long time. And um, I remember just being so hungry. And originally when I had thought I wanted to get at the connecting airport, looked completely different when I landed. <laughs> so, and then also the amount of food I ate was probably more than I typically eat at that time of day. But yet it was because I was in this like primal kind of place of wanting to eat everything under the sun. And I was pissed off as well because I missed my uh, connecting flight. So, you know, it, it was, it was a kind of a, a situation that led to feeling a lot of different things. And then I wasn't prepared to feed my body when it really needed it. And so what naturally happened either probably that day or the next day, um, since I ate more at that meal, I think eventually I just ate a little bit less here and there. And my body just switched what it needed to tell me that I needed to eat. And I don't remember thinking a whole lot about it. And I think that's why it works. You know, it's, I've spoken before um, on other episodes how we have lots of different body systems that help us to regulate and we don't really think about them or we don't think them about them a lot. And food is supposed to just be in that same kind of system where we don't think a whole lot about it except when we need it. And, um, you know, preparing to eat and, you know, making a grocery list, you know, that's a, an amount of food uh, prep and thinking about food that is normal. When a person finds themselves thinking about food most minutes of the day instead of just around meal and snack time and then when they're doing food prep, I think it can become a problem and it can be considered abnormal. So I want to keep going with um, how to become a normal eater. If you are someone listening who feels like your relationship with food is not is not normal, there are some things that a person can do. And I feel like I need to also say it's not just people with an eating disorder that experience abnormal eating. I do feel like disordered eating and dieting and distrust of the body systems are normal now. It it's, makes me very sad to, to just acknowledge that 
dieting and um, disordered eating are normal eating. And so choosing to not diet and choosing to trust your body may feel like abnormal eating because basically our culture has its own eating disorder. Our society is suffering. And um, so even if you don't have an eating disorder, you may find that some of the things I'm saying right now can really help your relationship with food. And in the end, it will really help your health as well. So in order to move toward a more normal way of eating, what I encourage anyone to do is to really look at how we consider bodies as okay or not okay. Hating fat bodies or feeling a disgust with fat bodies not only does that hurt people who are in these larger bodies, but it also hurts people who are in any size because it really cuts into the way that our body regulates itself. You know, it, letter writer, I know you spoke about how in your family of origin, fat bodies were considered disgusting. And if I, if anybody had that kind of foundation in their brain, it's going to lead to this fear of having a disgusting body. So wanting then to control the way that they eat. So controlling the way we eat is one of the first steps towards disordered eating. And there's lots of research that controlled eating and, you know, as that moves more into uh, a rigid way of relating to food like dieting, dieting is the number one predictor for weight gain and experiencing an eating disorder. So the way that we can get away from that is to calm the chaos down and respect all body sizes and reframe how we define health. And instead, defining health based on behaviors and not how we see someone. And so I hope you can appreciate uh, moving away from more of a fat hate type of way of looking at bodies um, can really help anyone and everyone. I want to address something else, um, letter writer. You mentioned that you can't find a way to enjoy eating and it's often hard to find foods that you actually want to eat. Something that I know to be true is that eating disorders can take the pleasure out of eating. If someone's been affected by an eating disorder for any length of time, more than probably six months, it's going to affect things like their taste buds. You know, we get new taste buds popping up every three days, old ones die off. And if a person has a, a tongue full of all these taste buds that have been through restriction and avoiding most pleasurable kind of foods, when it does get that taste on the palate, it'll, it'll be repulsed by it. And eventually, as a person gets more and more restrictive with their food, those taste buds really don't like anything. And so when a person then decides that, okay, I'm going to try to do things differently and try to heal my relationship with food, and maybe they have a, t a team that helps support them. And if they're trying to increase their variety of foods at this point, they may feel that repulsion. I, th I feel like that's a very typical thing that I hear in my office. So letter writer, if you're in that place, what I would encourage you to do with your eating disorder team support is go to the grocery store and pick out two or three foods that you used to like. 
And if that feels too scary, maybe just even one. One food that if you can think about before the disordered eating really started to be powerful, you know, pick those and bring them home and let yourself eat them with some repetition. After two or three times eating the food, you may start to feel less anxiety with them. And you also may notice that your palate starts to appreciate the taste a little bit more. I do strongly encourage you, though, to do this type of work with an eating disorder dietitian. This is not something that I encourage people to do on their own. So just keep that in mind as you're doing it. But I will also say I have some clients who can track their eating disorder starting when they were four or five years old. So there's very little memory of enjoying food. And if if you identify with this, this group, then what I would encourage you to do is notice what your friends like to eat. You know, do your friends like to eat pizza or they like to go and get Starbucks? You know, is there something that you and your group of friends like to do to get together? I would start to make a list of those foods and pick one of those. And I, I would encourage you to start with that because something I know to be true with fixing a person's relationship with food and repairing it is the relationship with food usually gets better as a person is connecting with other people. There's something about that relationship. It's It seems to be a, like kind of a direct kind of correlation when a person starts to relate more with others and is spending more time with other people and those relationships are deepening, usually a person's relationship with food is also healing at the same time. So if a person then can find foods that their friends enjoy eating, they will also then be working on those relationships. So I feel like it's like two birds, one stone, and totally worth the effort. Another um, part of your letter that concerned me and um, I wanted to talk about was you mentioned never feeling hungry or feeling very hungry. And it's kind of something that was interesting to me because it was kind of this black and white way of relating to food, never wanting food or being very hungry. And um, I pictured a pendulum swinging back and forth as I was reading it. And that way of relating to food is pretty common when it comes to disordered eating we often call it black and white thinking. And it's it's a cognitive distortion that's pretty common. Again, like I was saying earlier, our way of relating to food in our culture is quite disordered. And there's a lot of black and white thinking that go with it. There's even books that talk about eat this, not that. And it makes my skin crawl because there's not one food, unless you have an anaphylactic reaction, there's not one food that a person needs to completely abstain from. And the way our body relates to food is so much more in the gray kind of spectrum instead of black and white. And our body does have these different ways of communicating hunger and fullness that may appear at times to be just hungry and full, yet there is so many steps in between. And that's, again, something else that a, a dietitian can help with. And I also have a couple of blog posts on how to navigate the way of relating to food when feeling hungry is just too scary. And also when feeling hungry or excuse me, feeling too full is just too scary. Those are things that definitely you can, you can find a way for your body to um, experience 
food and hunger and fullness differently just by practice. And I want to just point out too, this way of healing a person's relationship with food is not something that happens overnight. Of course, we live in a culture that expects that. And it's not something that there's no pill for it either. Um, There's no FDA approved medication for an eating disorder. We just don't have that. The only thing we can do is get the right support and time. And if a person is in a place where they're what I would say, nutritionally rehabilitated, meaning um, they're no longer depriving themselves and their metabolism is kind of calm now and it's not freaking out. It it knows that food is going to come consistently. Once a person's in that place, it usually takes about a year for a person to be able to listen to hunger and fullness, excuse me, and rely on them. So again, be patient with yourself. Be very patient. It takes time. But just like all the other relationships in our life that matter, our relationship to ourselves and our relationship to food is so worth the work. So young wounded eater, I want to tell you um, that this is going to be worth it. And I, I appreciate that your family is not a source of comfort with um, normal eating or um, accepting all bodies. Yet there are people out there and I would encourage you to seek them out. Look for your people that are gonna support this recovery. And you know, as you move through recovery, as you move through the process of recovery, what you will find is that some people in your family and your um, network of um, friends may also start to learn from what you're doing. Of course, there may be people that won't, but I have a feeling there's going to be some people that will also notice how wonderful this relationship with food is providing you this sense of peace and um, helping you to reconnect with the world. So I'm going to be hopeful that that will happen for your family too. And um, as you connect with an eating disorder team, you may find it to be helpful to also do family therapy. So keep that in mind as well. And I see that food has written back. And Young Wounded Eater, please keep me posted on how things are going. I hope it does get easier. But more than anything else, please be patient with this process. And remember that you are a wonderful successful human and some of these things that may feel like flaws and mistakes is really just your body telling you that it wants you to relate to food differently and I hope you can listen and I hope you can give yourself permission to just be where you are and I have a feeling when you do that that's when you're going to start moving forward and feeling that normal feeling that you so crave take care dear young wounded eater We miss you. We know you've been through a lot and you're trying to heal. Please find others to support you as we work on mending the ways we connect. Long ago, you learned to not trust your body and it was meant to be controlled. Your body has the wisdom to know what it needs and it will patiently wait until you reconnect with it. We know your body will welcome you home. Love, food. Do you have a complicated relationship with food and want to change? I want to help. Send your Dear Food letter to 
lovefoodpodcast at gmail.com. I hope to read about your experiences soon. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is the Love Food series. Have you enjoyed the show or would you like to give me feedback? I welcome your thoughts. Please give a review in iTunes and subscribe. This type of kindness helps the show continue. You can also tweet me at eatingpermitrd. Take care. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.